Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 8. Now, if you remember, it's been several weeks. It's been three weeks since we've been going through the book of Jeremiah. But we're at the part of Jeremiah that's a figure that shows us a man that shows us faithfulness, a heart that was set to the Lord like flint, like, like stone, like he just set his heart to what, whatever the Lord said to him. And I want to show you somewhere tonight where he had some really human feelings about the message that he was about ready to give, and yet he kept going. So he decided uh, uh, towards this message, or he made his heart up that he was going to give this message, even in the face of, listen to this, folks, physical danger, um, national like deterioration. You know, his nation is crumbling before his eyes. And one of the um, big lessons I think we're going to see tonight from Jeremiah uh, in, our, in our study tonight and always, by the way, does anybody know the book that comes after Jeremiah? What did you say? Yeah, Lamentations, to lament, to cry and mourn over your sin and the sin of your country or your people. And Jeremiah is a lamenter. <laughs> And really, lamenting in the Christian church today is sort of a lost thing, discipline, art, whatever you want to say. When was the last time, not that you turned on the TV, whether it was the right channel or the left channel, and lamented, and instead of turning over the TV, we just sat in our prayer closet and lamented, we cried and mourned over the sins of our people, starting in the church. It's a lost art, but Jeremiah gives us or shows us uh, what it is to be a lamenter. Someone has said, um, as much, do you spend the same amount of time lamenting as you do sinning? Wow. And, and that's an interesting thing because the Bible tells us, 1 John, that if you confess your sin, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And sort of like <laughs> the opposite of the lepers who forgot to come back and thank Jesus, I think some of us get, I don't know, so busy, so forgetful, we forget what it is to lament and mourn over our sin. And so uh, Jeremiah is going to show us this. Well, in chapter 7, remember, these people were showing up and going to the temple. They were trusting in the temple itself. And then they were going out and doing all kinds of dastardly, sinful things. And the big lesson from there was that God was going to judge external religion, external, outward no heart in it, fake, phony religion is going to be judged and is of real no eternal value. So that's what we studied last time. We're still on these temple sermons, and just let me remind you of this, that Jeremiah prophesied during the years 640, or so, you know, right in that range, 640 B.C., all the way until 
after 586 BC, so you know, uh, after the Babylonian invasion. So you can see the time period there that he, that he prophesied in. And he started during the time of a king, do you remember this, of a king named Josiah. Now I'm telling you this because it's important for the story. See, Josiah was eight years old when he came to the crown of Judah, the southern kingdom. And you know the story one time... Some of his servants and uh, people were looking around in the temple, and they found the law that had been hidden for all those years. And Josiah ripped his clothes and said, what? We read read it to me. Why haven't we been doing this? And he reinstituted the law. He started following God's law and had the nation follow God's law. And so Josiah is one of the great, quote, reformers of the kingdom or the dynasty of Judah, but I'm telling you all this because it didn't last. It was only a reformation. It wasn't a repentance. And so when we get to the next king, Jehoahaz, he returns Judah to idolatry and wickedness, and Jehoiakim does the same thing, and Jehoiachin the same thing, and Zedekiah the same thing, and these are the people, the kings that uh, reigned during Jeremiah's prophecy or prophetic times. In fact, Zedekiah was the king, the last king before the destruction of Jerusalem. Oh, that's a lot of history, I know. Zedekiah was actually on the throne in 586 B.C., when the Babylonians came and destroyed Jerusalem and killed the people. Now, that's important for tonight because you're going to see the prophetic words of Jeremiah probably somewhere in the 600s B.C., speaking of 586 B.C. God gives him a vision, and he's prophetically telling the people what's going to happen. Okay, everybody there? So 586 B.C., remember that, write it in your Bibles. Look at this. Just follow along with me in chapter 8, verse 1. At that time, says the Lord, they shall bring out the bones of the kings of Judah and the bones of its princes and the bones of the priests and the bones of the prophets and the bones of the inhabitants of Jerusalem out of their graves. They shall spread them before the sun and the moon and all the host of heaven which they have loved and which they have served and after which they have walked, which they have sought and which they have worshipped. They shall not be gathered nor buried. They shall be like refuse on the face of the earth. You catching the language there? It's pretty shocking. Then death shall be chosen rather than life by all the residue of those who remain of this evil family who remain in all the places where I have driven them, says the Lord of hosts. What are they speaking of? What's he speaking of right there? Where, where do they get driven to? So you get a people who are killed and not buried. Now think about that for the Jew. Desecrated body, are you kidding me? And then the prophecy is the people who remain are going to be driven somewhere, and we know from history that Babylon took them up to Babylon. (laughs) So those who remain, I will drive them, says the Lord of hosts. And then watch this in verse 4. Moreover, you shall say to them, thus says the Lord, will they fall and not rise? Will one turn away and not return? Why has this people slidden back Jerusalem in a perpetual backsliding? 
They hold fast to deceit. They refuse to return. Or to return. I listened and heard, but they do not speak aright. No man repented of his wickedness, saying, what have I done? Everyone turned to his own course as the horse rushes into the battle. Even the stork in the heavens knows her appointed times, and the turtle dove, the swift and the swallow, observe the time of their coming. But my people do not know the judgment of the Lord. Are you catching that? How can you say we are wise and the law of the Lord is with us? Look, the false pen of the scribes certainly works falsehood. The wise men are ashamed. They are dismayed and taken. Behold, they have rejected the word of the Lord. So what wisdom do they have? Therefore, I will give their wives to others and their fields to those who will inherit them. Because from the least, even to the greatest, everyone is given to covetousness. From the prophet, even to the priest, everyone deals falsely, for they have heard the herd of the daughter of my people slightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed, nor did they know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall. In the time of their punishment, they shall be cast down, says the Lord." I will surely consume them, says the Lord. No grapes shall be on the vine, nor figs on the fig tree, and the leaf shall fade, and the things I have given them shall pass away from them. Why do we sit still? Assemble yourselves, and let us enter the fortified cities, and let us be silent there. For the Lord our God has put us to silence, and given us water of gall to drink, because we have sinned against the Lord." We looked for peace, but no good came, and for a time of health, and there was trouble. The snorting of his horses was heard from Dan. The whole land trembled at the sound of the neighing of his strong ones, for they have come and devour the land and all that is in it, the city and those who dwell in it. For behold, I will send serpents among you. Sound familiar? Vipers which cannot be charmed, and they shall bite you, says the Lord. Wow. I would comfort myself, verse 18, in sorrow. My heart is faint in me. Listen, the voice, the cry of the daughter of my people from a far country. Is not the Lord in Zion? Is not her king in her? Why have they provoked me to anger with their carved images with foreign idols? The harvest is past. The summer is ended, and we are not saved. For the hurt of the daughter of my people, I am hurt, I am mourning. Astonishment has taken hold of me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then is there no recovery for the health of the daughter of my people? Hmm. What is this saying? Well, when you turn back to the beginning of chapter 8, remember that there had been a prophecy in chapter 7. The judgment on external, obscene, fake, phony religion. Who's tired of being fake? I am. Is seen at the end of chapter 7 in verse 28. You'll say to them, verse 28, chapter 7, this is a nation that does not obey the voice of the Lord their God, nor receive correction. See, you know, some have said the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is not that we sin or don't sin. We all sin, the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is that we have a place to go, a, a, a antidote, a, a sacrifice paying for our sin. Oh, yes, of course, 
the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian, our lives should be looking more and more Christ-like. But actually, the only thing that makes us really that different is, other than we have a new nature, I understand, come up and talk to me after, but we have a place to go for our sins. We're saved by the blood. And here, they had nothing. Cut off, it says in verse 29 of chapter 7. Cut off your hair and cast it away and take up a lamentation on the desolate heights for the Lord has rejected and forsaken the generation of his wrath. For the children of Israel, or Judah, excuse me, have done evil in my sight. They have set their abominations in their house, which is called by my name to pollute it. They'd actually started to bring carved images, idols into the temple other than the Lord himself. That's what they were doing. They built these high places of Tophet, which is in the valley of the sin of Hinnom. It's the valley of Gehenna. That's right beside Jerusalem, the Temple Mount. It's right there. To burn their sons and daughters in the fires. Can you believe it? The people of God descended and spiraled out of control. God said, don't go and connect with those other nations when you move into the land of promise. Because he knew what would happen. And here's the ultimate end, isn't it? These people who thought they were doing religious things actually sacrificed their children right beside the Temple Mount. Are you kidding? Therefore, look at this, 32. The days are coming, says the Lord, when it no more be called Tophet or the Valley of the Son of Hinnom, but the Valley of Slaughter. Because the very place that you slaughtered your children as a response to what it is you were worshiping, you'll be slaughtered. And that's the way it is with idols. The things that we love over and above the Lord, and be honest with yourself, be really honest. I gotta be honest with myself about this. The things that we worship, and we were designed to worship that aren't the Lord will kill us and bring death into our lives. These people, it was the burial place of the place they were sacrificing for them. In, in fact, in verse 33, the corpses will be food for the birds and for the beasts of the earth, and no one will frighten them away. Then I'll cause to cease from the cities of Judah and from the streets of Jerusalem the voice of mirth. It's going to be a sad doom and gloom There's the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride. For the land shall be desolate. There's going to be no happiness in this place. And this, listen to this. This is what Jeremiah is prophesying right there at the gate as the people are pouring in, probably during a festival. Oh my goodness. Including the people who he grew up with. So he says here, not only that, the people of Judah, their bones, the princes, the royals, the the top dogs, they're not even going to be buried, it says in chapter 8. Their bodies are going to be exposed. Can you believe to, to anyone how disgraceful it is. That it would be a big disgrace in their culture. See, this is trying to tell us when God is rejected, folks. When God is rejected, even in the life of a Christian, there's nowhere to run. There's consequences. 
And here, they're not even going to be gathered up nor buried. They shall be like refuse. Get the, get the image there? On the face of the earth. And look, then death will be chosen rather than life by the residue of those. What do you mean? Because as you move up here, they still refused to return. There's no repentance. There's, they're deceiving themselves. Watch. Will they f- Listen, he, he asked these rhetorical questions. If I fell down right here, and you know one of my fears, I always jump up here. You know that? I always kind of skip up here with the step. And every time I, when I'm over there, right when the music's over, I'm like, man, I hope I don't trip and fall. But if I did trip and fall, what would I do immediately? I'd get up. We just get up, right? That's what this is saying. Will they fall and not rise? No, everybody gets back up. Will one turn away and not return? No, people do return. That's what they're trying to say. Why? But why has this people backslidden Jerusalem? Why are they perpetually in a backslidden state? See, here's what you have to know. They hold fast to deceit. They purposely and willfully are not obeying or disobedient. Are you getting that? That's what the Bible's saying here. They refuse to return. I listened and heard, but they don't speak aright. It's like knowing, you know, you gossiped about somebody, and they heard it, and then refusing to repent and say you're sorry, right? That's what this is. So they hold fast to deceit. Everything's fine. I'm, the, I'm of the people of God. I go to church. I come to the synagogue. I'm going to go to the festival. Everything's totally fine. But God says, wait a minute. You're deceiving yourself. You refuse to return. I listened and heard. They didn't speak aright. No man repented of his wickedness, saying, here's what they say. Ah, gossip, come on. What have I done? It's no big deal. Everybody does it. Everybody does it. We're out at the parade or the community day. Everybody talks about somebody else. We don't even think about it anymore. I'm just using that as an example. Everyone turned to his own course as the horse rushes into the battle. It's like full steam ahead is what he's saying with the things that you're comfortable with that are sin that you won't repent of. You catching that? Man, is this describing America? Even the stork in the heavens knows her appointed times. Turtle dove, swift, swallow. They all know the migratory patterns, when to go, where to go, how to go, right? And he says, but your people don't understand, the people of God don't understand judgment or the judgment that's coming. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I think that's something that we don't know in the church. I don't think it's taught a lot, to be quite honest. You know, Jesus Christ is coming back again, folks. And you know it because you read the Bible, but a lot of people don't talk about it. when he comes again, he's coming in judgment. It's not going to be a pretty sight for lots of people. And then he's going to set things right. He's going to be perfectly righteous and perfectly just, but he's coming in judgment. Well, how can we say we're wise and the law of the Lord is with us? See, what, he's, what, what the writer is getting at, or what Jeremiah is getting at through the prophecy is, you, you're trusting in the things that sound religious, but do you no good. For uh, one thing, you, you know the law of the Lord, but you don't do it. <laughs> The law of the Lord is with us. In fact, some of the scribes, the leaders of the church, the pastors, 
They're not above working falsehoods with their pen, saying things that are not true. Oh, wait a minute. Love is love. Really? It's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that there's marriage between a man and a woman. And anyone who argues that the Bible says anything differently is being intellectually dishonest. You just can't read it and say. (laughs) You can't read Romans 1. You can't read the big book of Genesis. Is God love? Of course he's love. But we are not the ones to tell God about the rules that he set up. (laughs) And that's what we do. And people all across the nation, who stand up here, I'm using that as one example, are telling you that the rules have changed when God has never changed and never will. And here, it was the same thing happening during the time of Jeremiah. The leaders, the scribes, if you go to Chronicles, that says the Levites were some of the scribes of this time, were the people who were falsifying the word. (laughs) Oh my goodness. The wise men are ashamed. They're dismayed. Behold, they've rejected the word of the Lord. These people have said, yes, I'll go to the festivals. I'll check it off. I'll put money in the box. I'll serve on committees. I'll I'll do all the things that I need to do. I'll even learn the law, but I ain't doing the law. That's what that says right there. So what wisdom they do have, therefore, here's what God's going to do. He's going to give the things that are dear to uh, uh, the people of God in Judah to others. And here he picks out the example, I'm going to give their wives to others and their fields to those who inherit them. Judgment for those who reject or tamper with the word of God. So you say you want to be a pastor, huh? Because from the least, even to the greatest, everyone is given to covetousness. From the prophet, even to the priest, everyone deals falsely. Can you imagine having to say that to your people who you love? For they've healed the hurt. Listen to what they're saying here. The, the people who are operating in the religious circles, who are the ones who are called by God to shepherd the people, you know what they say? Oh, it's okay. Peace, peace. I know, Lord, you've said this, but you couldn't have meant that because that might hurt somebody's feelings. No, peace, peace. Look. When there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they had committed the abomination? No, they weren't at all ashamed. Is this describing us or what? They don't even know how to blush. We watch things on TV you wouldn't even dare have watched. We watch sitcoms now, and Christians do it. You wouldn't have dared watched it in the 70s or the 60s or the 50s. You just wouldn't. It would have made you blush. Now it's just you're desensitized to it because it's just crept along here. And that's what the leaders were doing. They shall fall among those who fall in the time of their punishment. I will, look in verse 13, consume them. No grapes shall be on the vine, nor figs, and the leaves shall fade, and the things I have given shall pass away. Why do we sit still? Assemble yourselves and let us enter the fortified cities. Instead of repenting and turning to the Lord, they said, oh my goodness, judgment's coming? Well, let's manipulate this and run into a fortified city so we'll be okay. That's what we do in America. Instead of just repenting, agreeing with God that it's sin and then turning away from it. That's what he's saying. For the Lord God has put us to silence and given us the water of gall to drink, the bittersweet 
judgment is coming because we have sinned against their Lord, uh, the Lord. We looked for peace, but no good came. Time for trouble. The snorting of his horses was heard from Dan. The whole land trembled at the sound of the neighing of his strong ones. It's a prophetic thing about the judgment that was coming from Babylon. Get it? Dan is in the north, and the Babylonians came from the north. Get that? For they've come and devoured the land and all that's in it. For behold, I'll send serpents. I said, doesn't that remind you of something? Remember this. Remember when Moses was in the desert and the wilderness and the people, (laughs) can you believe this, complained about food. (laughs) And they complained against God. And God sent serpents. You remember this? And they sent serpents, and, uh, you know, Moses then was asked to then take a bronze serpent, bronze, the picture of judgment, hold it up in the air, and he told the people, instead of getting killed by the vipers or the snakes, which were killing the people, if you don't want to get killed, just look up to the serpent and you'll be saved, remember? You ever thought about this? I want you to think about something. The very thing that was killing the people was the thing that they were to look at, a snake. You catching what I'm saying? In other words, God was showing them, you must agree that the thing I want you to look at and come to grips with and call it what it is, the thing that is killing you, the vipers or sin, I want you to call it sin. And Jesus then said, didn't he, in uh, the, the Gospels, hey, That bronze serpent that was held up in the air, that was a picture of me. Why would that be? Because Jesus took our curse. The very thing that would kill us was put upon him. Isn't that amazing? Oh my gosh. And here, for behold, I will send serpents among you, vipers which cannot be charmed, and they shall bite you, says the Lord, and we know that we can be saved from the very thing that will kill us. That's the gospel. Well, I would comfort myself, verse 18, in sorrow. That's a really weird phrase, really hard phrase to translate in the Hebrew. In the NIV, I got a joke about that, but I'll save it for myself. You are my comforter, which is very different from what it reads. I would comfort myself in sorrow. In the NIV, it actually says, you are my comforter. In Lamentations, he asked, the book after this, Jeremiah asked, oh, if I only had a comforter. Ah, What's one of the names of the Holy Spirit? The comforter. You are my comforter. My heart is faint in me. Listen, the voice, the cry of the daughter of my people from a far country. I... Is not the Lord in Zion? Is not her king and in her? They, why, they have, why have they provoked me? They're carved images. They're foreign idols. Listen, this, might, this next verse might, want to be this, might be one of the saddest pieces of Scripture in the whole Bible. The harvest is past. The summer is ended. It's actually a little backwards there because, see, you summer you have a, a harvest, and then late or early summer or late spring, you have a harvest. And then if that one didn't work out, you see, the fall harvest, the early fall harvest, they could count on. 
And what the writer here is saying, or Jeremiah is speaking and prophetically is, the summer already went away and you got nothing. The harvest has come and gone and there is nothing. And you're still not saved. You see this? For the, they, they have no hope. There's judgment coming. It is going to come. The harvest is past. The summer is ended. And we're not saved. They missed, folks. They missed. They missed their God-given opportunity to repent and to turn and to go back. And they didn't do it. For the hurt of the daughter of my people, I am hurt. I am mourning. Astonishment has taken hold of me. And this is one of those sweet... Um, uh, um, African-American hymns. Do you ever remember this? Uh, that, that speaks of this next verse. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then is there no, no recovery for the health of the daughter of my people? Guess what he's saying. You, you remember when Joseph got thrown into the well? Uh, his brothers are going to kill him in uh, Genesis 37, but they didn't really want to kill him, so they just threw him in the well. Do you remember that there was this caravan of people who came by and they sold him to? Guess where they were from? Gilead. And guess what they had with them? Balm. Gilead was really famous for a medicinal balm. It had apparently some uh, a great smelling perfume, and it was used to heal people. Like if you had a wound which anybody here a nurse and have a, a, a runaway wound, it can be pretty nasty and smelly, right? And they would put this stuff on here, and it was this balm that would soothe and smell good. Get it? And here's what he's saying. It was east, uh, Gilead's east of the Jordan River, and he says, is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? In other words, I've gone to the pharmacy. I've gone to the ER for this spiritual condition. I've gone to every doctor. There's no medicine that can help these people. There's only one thing. In other words, in other words they've run out of hope in human things to help heal them. It's got to be supernatural. And I... I do you remember that there is that spiritual uh, song and it goes like this? There is a balm in Gilead to make the wounded whole. There is a balm in Gilead to heal the sin-sick soul. Sometimes I feel discouraged and think my work's in vain, but then the Holy Spirit revives my soul again. The balm in Gilead. Jesus has been spoken of as the balm of Gilead. Why? They never call, just, this is, this is free of charge. They never called Jesus the balm of Gilead, but it's because in these verses they say, is there no balm in Gilead? We've run out of human hope, but Jesus is the one who really satisfies and brings us back. That's why he's been called that before. Oh, that my head, verse 1, chapter 9, were waters, and my eyes a fountain of tears. This guy is lamenting. Jeremiah is lamenting. I might weep the day and night. I might weep day and night. And lamenting. Remember, it says in Psalm 56 that God bottles up our tears. God remembers godly tears. I'm convinced of it. And here he's lamenting over this people. He's crying over the sins of his country. Wow. Instead of us maybe getting up all the time and pointing our fingers at everybody, what if we got down on our knees and lamented the sins of our country? 
Here, that's what Jeremiah did. He said he would weep day and night over this for the slain of the daughter of my people. Oh, that I had in the wilderness a lodging place for travelers. <laughs> this cracks me up. It's almost like he's saying, this is so stressful. I wish I had a vacation home. Isn't that what he's saying? Oh, that I had in the wilderness a lodging place for travelers. I mean, this is getting to me. I'm, he's weeping so much. He feels so much. He's crying so much. He's lamenting. So, a lodging place for travelers that I might leave my people and go from them, for they are, look what they are, adulterers, an assembly of treacherous men. And like their bow, they have bent their tongues for lies. They are skillful liars. (laughs) They know how to hit the mark with their lies. Uh, They are not valiant for the truth on the earth. They proceed from evil to evil, and they do, here it is, they do not know me. Know that word for no right there? This cracks me up. You know the phrase yada, yada, yada? Uh, Yada, yada, yada. That's the word, yada. And they do not know me. That means an intimate knowing of somebody. See, that's the real sin of the people of Judah is that they didn't know the Lord. Isn't that interesting? It's not, oh, did I give enough money? Have I been to enough Bible studies? Did I help enough people? Yes, we want to do those sorts of things because we love the Lord. But what's the root issue of all of this that drives us? Why would we come here on a Wednesday night on a rainstorm? Why? Because we want to know the Lord more and more. And he's so satisfying, and the more we know him, the more we want to know. And, and it's not like that unsatisfying, you know, soda drink that you, you know, it's, ugh, or cotton candy or something. No, it is satisfying, but it's funny because the more you know him, the more you want to know more of him. And it's healthy, and it makes us whole and joyful just knowing him. And here, all these evil things, Judah's giving over to this deception and lies, And the Lord just says, I just want you to know me. I just want you to come, keep coming. Now, let me ask you a question. How much did you get to know the Lord this week? What was your devotions like? Listen, stay in the Word, just you and the Lord. I don't know how that happens. There's a lot of different mechanical ways you can do it. Find the way that works for you and just walk with Him and talk with Him and tell Him things. By the blood of Christ, we can do that. He says we can come right to his throne room to obtain mercy and grace. And oh, we need that. So here, he says, the sin really is that they don't know me. They know about me. We got a ton of Christians in the United States that know about the Lord. They can spout off chapter and verse. But to know the Lord and to be known by the Lord, that's something way different. So everyone take heed to his neighbor. Don't trust any brother, for every brother will utterly supplant. That means like manipulative. That's what uh, Jacob was called, remember, when he grabbed the heel of his brother, so, right? And he was a supplanter and a manipulator. And every neighbor will walk with slanderers. Everyone will deceive his neighbor and won't speak truth. They have taught their tongue to speak lies. They weary themselves to commit iniquity. Your dwelling place is in the midst of deceit. Through deceit, they refuse to know me. You catch that? They just refuse to know me, says the Lord. I wonder if he says that about us. Oh, my gosh. I just, I'm waiting. I just want to know her. 
She won't come. She'll go to every Bible study and write down every note and learn every scripture on index card, but there's never any coming to me or him. They just refuse to know me. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because their worship of something else, these idols, these other things, and because they've refused to return and repent, I will refine them. Remember, he's the refiner's fire. And try them, for how shall I deal with the daughter of my people? Their tongue is an arrow shot out. It speaks deceit. One speaks peaceably uh, with his mouth, uh, peaceably to his neighbor with his mouth, but in his heart he lies and wait. Shall I not punish them for these things? Shall I not avenge myself on such a nation as this? That's a funny thing in the, in the Hebrew there. The nation word for Hebrew, or in the Hebrew there, is goyim. It's a, it's a pagan country. It's a word for a pagan country. In other words, God through Jeremiah said, you're no better than a pagan country. I will take up a weeping and wailing. Gosh, does the Lord say that about America now? I will take up a weeping and wailing for the mountains and for the dwelling places of the wilderness, a lamentation, because they are burned up so that no one can pass through, nor can men hear the voice of the cattle. Both the birds of the heavens and the beasts have fled. I will make Jerusalem a heap of ruins, a den of jackals. I will make the cities of Judah desolate without an inhabitant. Remember, he's prophesying several years before 586 B.C., And he's giving you the conditions that led up to it and the reasons that the Lord sent the judgment. So who is the wise man who may understand this? Uh, Disturbed by all these images, Jeremiah asks this question, who's the wise man who may understand this? And who is he to whom the mouth of the Lord has spoken that he may declare it? Why does the land perish and burn up like a wilderness so that no one can pass through And the Lord said, because they have forsaken my law, which I set before them and have not obeyed my voice nor walked according to it, but they have walked according to the dictates of their own hearts and after the Baals, which their fathers taught them, by the way, there's a lot of archaeological and extra biblical uh, information that shows that when you worship the Baals, you were engaged in a lot of sexual perversion worship. And that's what these folks were uh, 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 engaging in. That's why the Lord's so upset. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will feed them, this people, with wormwood, bitterness, judgment that's bitter, and give them water of gall to drink. I will scatter them among the Gentiles, Babylon, whom they nor their fathers have known, and I will send a sword after them until I've consumed them. Thus says the Lord of hosts, verse 17, uh, consider and call for the mourning women. Professional mourners, you can read them all throughout the Old Testament in the Bible, 2 Corinthians 35, Ecclesiastes, Amos, Matthew. They would call for these professional mourners because it was certain that judgment was to come. Being... uh, God's covenant people doesn't uh, guarantee spiritual understanding, you see. Boy, can we see that today. And that they may come. Look, consider and call for the mourning women that they may come and send for skillful wailing women that they may come and let them make haste. 
Verse 18, and take up a wailing for us that our eyes may run with tears. And our eyelids gush with water for a voice of wailing is heard from Zion. How we are plundered. We are greatly ashamed because we have forsaken the land. We've been cast out of our dwellings. Yet hear the word of the Lord, O women, verse 20, and let your ear receive the word of his mouth. Teach your daughters wailing. And everyone, her neighbor, a lamentation. For death has come through our windows. You see the culture of death that happens when they won't repent? Has entered our palaces to kill off the children no longer to be outside and the young men no longer on the streets. Speak, thus says the Lord, verse 22, even the carcasses of men, description of death, shall fall as refuse on the open field like cuttings after the harvester and no one shall gather them. And I've been going sort of fast, I know. And somebody will email me and tell me that, by the way. For this verse, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. (laughs) Let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches, but let him who glories glory in this that he understands and knows me. So let's unpack that a little bit. Think of the things that the Lord says don't brag about. Your education. How smart you are. Listen, folks. Maybe maybe you don't. Maybe you didn't go to uh, Yale or Harvard or Wittenberg or some great school like that, but... Yeah, right. But... Maybe you didn't, but, but listen, you know what we do as Christians? We think we know it all. We're a big bunch of know-it-alls sometimes, and we're not very nice about it. And we do have the answers, but the ans- it's not really answers with an S. It's an answer, not plural, and it's found in Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ by the grace of God, came here to heaven, or came from heaven to here to save us from our sin, and now all who uh, surrender their life to him receive eternal life and glory. And in other words, you were bought with a price, and it's all by grace. What in the world did I do? Nothing. The beginning of wisdom is just to fear the Lord. There's a lot of people who went to Harvard or Yale or Wittenberg and are very smart humanly, and yet aren't very wise at all. Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, and don't be a know-it-all. Just preach Jesus. Let not the mighty man glory in his might, power. You know that it says in 1 Corinthians 1, right around verse 25, the weakness of God is stronger than any man. Just Preach Jesus. Let, let not the mighty man glory in his might. Oh, I have a position of such or such, and I can tell you what to do or enforce this on you. No, be, be a gentle, bold servant who in humility approaches people. Don't glory in your might. Oh, I deserve this. I have this. No, let the mighty man not glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches. 
Man, that's a really subtle thing that we do. We live in a certain house, and you know you don't, and so I live in a better place of town, and you don't, or whatever. And I got this kind of car, and you don't, and I wear these kind of... And you, you know, you might not say it, but I'm telling you, man, people think that sort of thing. But see, for the Christian, for the people of God, let's not glory in that. Let's glory in this, that we've come to the place where we know God through Jesus Christ. But here, that's not even the good part, although that's pretty good. (laughs) It is the good part. But look at the next verse. That I am the Lord. Glory in this, that he understands and know me, and that I am the Lord exercising loving kindness. See, we don't get that in the the Hebrew. We we, we don't, excuse me, we don't get that in the English. In the Hebrew, that's hased. Hased. Everybody tries to define it in English, and they can't define it because it's so glorious and grand. It's that covenant love. It's that love that God sets on you, this unfailing devotion towards his people. That's hased. And we can't even put it into an English word because we don't have a word that describes how great hased is. But the Lord exercises that towards his people. But he also exercises judgment, and you, you are happy. I'm happy he does that. Man, thank goodness the Lord is the judge and not us. We get all the motives wrong and all the witnesses wrong and all the testimony wrong. God knows it perfectly, and he's coming, and he's going to set it all right. Thank goodness that he exercises judgment, and now you can forgive people and leave the judging to him righteousness in the earth. He exercises righteousness. Oh, but it still gets better than this. Listen, don't leave right here, Jess. (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm kidding. For in these I delight, says the Lord. I want you to catch something. When God is revealed to you, and you recognize that it's the goodness and the hased and the judgment and the attributes of God that you're recognizing and seeing, listen to this. God delights in it that you start to come to an understanding of him. That's what the Bible just said to you. See, he wants you to know. He's desiring and all he's saying is just keep coming. I'll, 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 I'll... Show you me, I'll show you me, I'll show you, I'll prove myself faithful. You know that problem that's so perplexing you don't know what to do? I'll solve it, I'll take care of it, it'll be okay, you're going to go and live with me forever, it's okay. And when you start to recognize the hased and the judgment and the righteousness of God, and it hits you and you know it, and it put, you know, he puts it right there, the Lord is smiling about it, because you've found him out a little more. Behold, it says in 25, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will punish all who are circumcised with the uncircumcised. See, that's not shocking for us, but it's shocking to the Jews. What? We're the people of God. How could we took the circumcision? That's the special sign between you and I, Lord, between us and you, Lord. How, how could that happen? And then he says that Listen, the nations, these dastardly nations who are going to come against Israel, he says, I'm going to judge Egypt. And then look at this. He puts Judah in there. 
Judah, Edom, Ammon, Moab, and all who are in the farthest corners who dwell in the wilderness. I'm going to judge all these people or these nations. And oh, by the way, that happens in chapters 46 through 51. We'll get to that. You folks are just like the pagan nations. Hear the word which I, the Lord, speak to you, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, don't learn the way of the Gentiles. Don't be dismayed at the signs of heaven. For the Gentiles are dismayed at them. For one cuts a tree from the forest, the work of the hands, the workmen of the axe. They decorate it with silver and gold. They fasten it with nails and hammers so that it won't topple. They are upright like a palm tree, and they cannot speak. They must be carried because they, not, they cannot go by themselves. Do not be afraid of them, for they cannot do evil, nor can they do any good. See, lots of people get right there that you shouldn't have a Christmas tree. And you know what? If the Lord has convicted you that you shouldn't have a Christmas tree because of this, don't have a Christmas tree. But really what this is talking about is that they worship trees. You can see it in some of the other places of the prophets. They worshiped the trees. They thought the trees had some special life or magic. In fact, in verse 7, they're upright like a palm tree and they cannot speak. One commentator says, yeah, they're like a scarecrow in a field. That's what an idol is like. That's what an idol is like, like a scarecrow in a tree or in a field. Don't be afraid of ant. They can't do evil, nor can they do any good. They're nothing. They're inanimate objects. And then here, I want you to see this. Here's the end of the temple sermon, or beginning of the end of the temple sermons. Here's what he says. Know who the Lord is, inasmuch as there is none like you, Lord, unique, you're great. I'm saying that. He's unique. You are great, and your name is great in might. Who would not fear you, O king of the nations? He's sovereign. He's a king. For this is your rightful due. For among all the wise men of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is none like you. Again, unique. But they are altogether dull-hearted and foolish. A wooden idol is worthless doctrine. Silver is beaten into plates. It's brought from Tarshish and gold from Uphaz. The work of the craftsmen in the hands of the metalsmith. See, these idols were... Not only uh, beautiful, they were expensive sometimes, so they were in vogue. And the Israelites, or the people of Judah, got seduced with the worship of other idols through their eyes and through their beauty and wanting to be like the other people. Oh my gosh, do I hardly have to even expand upon that. That's what we are with the world. We put rock walls up in the church. We have fog lights and machines, so everybody will think we're a concert. The other day I was listening, I was just listening. I'm going to get in trouble for this, but I don't care. I'm listening to this worship song, and it's so cool, and I'm really worshiping the Lord, and it's so awesome. And in the middle of it, the, 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 the singer goes, I feel like it's going to get rowdy in here now. And I know what he meant but it just felt so concert-like. And it was like, ah, oh, you ruined it. We could become like the world. We become like concerts now instead of worship. And in all things, too, not just that. I'm not picking on worship leaders, <laughs> but I guess I kind of am. <laughs> Blue and purple are their clothing. They are all the work of skillful men. 
Verse 10, but the Lord is the true God. He's the living God. Catch that, true, living, everlasting king. At his wrath, the earth will tremble and the nations will not be able to endure his indignation. This you shall say to them, the gods that you have not made the heavens and the earth, the gods that have not made the heavens and the earth shall perish from the earth and from under these heavens. He has made the earth by his power. He's established the word by wisdom. He's stretched out the heavens at his discretion. When he utters his voice, there is a multitude of waters in the heaven. And he causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain. He brings the wind out of his treasuries. Everyone is dull-hearted without knowledge. Every metalsmith is put to shame by an image. For his molded image is falsehood. And there is... Uh, uh, no breath in them. They are a futile, a work of errors. In the time of their punishment, they shall perish. The portion of Jacob is not like them. Here's what he's saying right there. Yahweh chooses a people, a portion of Jacob. God's chosen us, folks, this little group of people to be in this little or then this bigger body, but this little group of people, he's chosen us. We're his portion, Jacob was his portion, for he is a maker of all things, and Israel is the tribe of his inheritance. The Lord of hosts is his name. Gather up your wares from the land, O inhabitants, for thus says the Lord. I'm going to throw out at this time, it actually means slingshot out, the inhabitants of the land, and will distress them that they may find it so. See, he's prophetically saying what's going to happen to them. Woe is for me, for my hurt. My wound is severe, but I say, truly, this is an infirmity, and I must bear it. My tent is plundered, all my cords are broken, my children have gone from me, and they are no more. There is no one to pitch my tent anymore or set up my curtains. Do you know what that's a reference to? The tabernacle that traveled where the Shekinah glory resided. There was nobody to set it up or to do worship anymore. Here, and here's sad. Oh, my. I'll say it again. So you want to be a pastor, eh? For the shepherds have become dull-hearted. In fact, in Lamentations 4.13, it says one of the reasons he put the people into Babylon and had the judgment come upon Babylon because the shepherds weren't faithful to teach the people in the ways of the Lord. The spiritual and political leaders were dull-hearted and it did not seek the Lord. Folks, sometimes the pastors have to say no. Did you know that? I, I, I can't, listen, we're just a little, small, little fellowship. I can't possibly go visit every single person in the hospital. I just can't do it. Because here's one of the things that I must do. I must be seeking the Lord. And that just doesn't take five minutes. And pastors need to be seeking the Lord. We Others folks can help and pitch in and go and see. When you have a problem, the pastor doesn't always have to be the one to hear it. The elders can hear it too, folks. There's not some special magic about the pastor. Am I going to get in trouble for this one? But listen, here's why. Because you know what the pastors are to be doing? To devote themselves to prayer and the teaching of the word. And to seek the Lord. It says it right here. If I'm not seeking the Lord, I'm failing all of you. Therefore, they shall not prosper. And that just doesn't apply to me. That applies to all the pastors all around. 
Therefore they shall not prosper, and all their flocks shall be scattered. Behold, the noise of the report has come, and a great commotion out of the north, see, Babylon, to make the cities of Judah desolate, Adenabat, jackals. O Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. Read that again. I know the way of man is not in himself. See, man thinks he's an entity unto himself, but the Bible tells us that we really should be or should belong to the Lord. And when we surrender our lives to Christ, we've been bought with the price. We are the Lord's. We're into the family of God, right? We'll never be happy when we think of us as our own entity. I know the way of a man isn't in himself. God can't rule himself. He can't without the Lord. God can't navigate life without the Lord. You could look up Psalm 103. Is, not, is it not man who walks to direct his own steps? O Lord, correct me, but with justice, not in your anger. He wants corrective justice. And there's some uh, precedent for that in Psalm 118, uh, verse 18. You can look that up later. By the way, in the New Testament, you could look at Hebrews 12, 7 through 11 or 12 to show us how he chastens us now as children of God. But what he's calling for here is corrective judgment, not in your anger, lest you bring me nothing. Pour out your fury on the Gentiles who do not know you and on the families who do not call on your name, for they have eaten up Jacob, devoured him, and consumed him, and made his dwelling place desolate. Now, can you imagine God used Babylon as an instrument for justice on the people of God. What a humbling experience. But you know this? God also brought an end to the savage rule, the kingdom of Babylon, and you're going to see that in Jeremiah 50 and 51. What am I saying? Here's what I'm saying. God's word never fails. If he says something, it will come to pass. God is a God of love, but he's also a God of judgment and justice. And thank the Lord, we live in this era of grace, but grace, the era of grace is when Jesus comes back, is coming to an end. He's going to pull his church out and then bring us back after a seven-year period to mete out justice here in this world. And we are going to participate somehow, some way in his kingdom. You see, here's what I think it says to us as you learn Jeremiah. There's something bigger and greater out there than just your paycheck and your, you know, 401k and your vacation this year. There's a whole eternity of righteousness, love, peace, justice, joy, perfection. So as we close, <laughs> let's just uh, give the Lord praise uh, for this old book that is so timely now. So let's, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for tonight and for uh, these words and uh, for your temple sermons there through Jeremiah. Lord, it's so shockingly like the United States now. Lord, help us to be people who are lamenters, who grieve over men sin, but not just pointing the fingers at other people, grieve over the church's sin. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to share and to love your grace 
and gospel, and many would come into the kingdom before you come back in justice. And I pray as I look around this room that you'd give opportunities for each one of these people here this week to share your love and light. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.